whether gatherings like Thanksgiving are, or should be, a sacrament of shared food and drink. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. It has been a while since there has been a recording of either Inappropriate Conversations or Walk the Earth. And I want to address that right from the beginning because despite the fact that there's been almost two months of gap between shows, I feel like there might be another similar gap coming up, at least in the realm of new material. As I look out, not just to the month of December, but also to the first part of next year, I'm wondering if the recording schedule is about to face some sort of a temporary interruption. And what I've elected to do about that is to go ahead and release some material during the month of December, perhaps even quite a bit of material, on even more than a weekly basis, if I succeed in my plan and have my way. But these will all fall under the heading of what I've been calling lately, Talk Back. Because the other podcast, and the main podcast on the feed of inappropriateconversations.org, has conversations in the name. I've been doing something for more than just a year or so now called Talk Back. When I release an Inappropriate Conversations episode, I look 100 episodes into the past and just move sequentially forward from that perspective by sharing social media posts on Twitter, where I can be found at IC underscore Greg, or on either of the respective uh, Facebook pages, Walk the Earth, the Facebook page for this podcast, and um, Inappropriate Conversations, to basically do a callback to the oldest shows. In the case of Inappropriate Conversations, the episodes that are numerically 100 back. And I've called these Talkback episodes. Now, they haven't involved any sort of reposting. They've been mainly about sharing the link out there to inappropriateconversations.org where there's a monthly directory that is a shortcut to every Inappropriate Conversations podcast I've ever recorded, and also all of the Walk the Earths along the way. And so I felt like it was about time that maybe I considered, for me the first time, considered doing a reposting of past shows. And if December is going to be a dry spell for me, I know I have seven or eight past Inappropriate Conversations episodes that looked at uh, Christmas and the holiday season in particular, along with perhaps at least one Walk the Earth, so there is material to share. And my game plan is to record short introductions and to do complete repostings of those files as talkback shows during the month of December at the very least to give me a chance to tide myself over and buy a little bit of time. I try not to let myself worry about uh, interruptions, delays in the podcasting schedule, things where I've intended to make a recording and don't, or wanted to do it perhaps closer to a holiday, if it's a holiday-themed show like this one, to only a slight extent is. Because I think sometimes I've gotten the sense, and I think sense is the safest word for it, that maybe the delays have been, you know, inspired in one way or another. Recently, I would have recorded a short Inappropriate Conversations preview show, or actually a post-view show. I wanted to put a little bit of a postlude on two of the last three Inappropriate Conversations podcasts and also do a promotion for a couple of other podcasts where I had contributed materials. 
I had two or three in mind, as a matter of fact. And then the bad news started coming in. In one case, a show that I thought was going to at least address a letter of mine uh, did not. Uh, perhaps oversight or forgetfulness or maybe a change of mind on the host. I don't know the answer to that. I only know that if I had promoted that, it would not have uh, happened as I had planned for it to. In another case, I recorded what has now turned out to be potentially the last episode of the Greatest Events in Sporting History podcast. My segment of that was looking back to the uh, what I consider to be a classic Buffalo Bills Houston Oilers NFL playoff game, the comeback game, if you will. And I still think it is really one of the greatest events in NFL sporting history. But at the time, I was going to make that preview post view recording and promote this uh, re- this upcoming episode of the greatest events in sporting history. It wasn't coming out very quickly, and I began, began to get concerned that maybe it not, may not come out at all. And I've since learned that the greatest events in sporting history is probably going to be on a very long, if not permanent, hiatus, which, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't make me feel very good that I was planning to promote it. But at the time that I was thinking about recording this, I also kept having things get in the way. I kept either stalling myself and what might be the equivalent of a writer's block concept or more important priorities came up. And I quickly realized that the inability to record that show as I'd planned and in the way I planned, well, it might have actually been in some ways a protective moment of inspiration, whether divinely inspired, where the Holy Spirit was getting in the way and stopping me from speaking words that did not yet need to be spoken is maybe a stretch. But all the same, I didn't record a show promoting things that weren't released and didn't happen. And in its own way, that's a blessing. So I don't let myself fret about this. And I'm also in some ways kind of looking forward to looking back at different ways that I've observed Advent or explored topics related to the holiday season. That's coming up in the month of November. It will include include at least one talk back to a past Walk the Earth episode that dealt squarely with Christmas as a holiday. Most of the shows, to be fair, though, will be uh, inappropriate conversations, and at least one, I'm I'm hopeful I will release one of them in the month of November, because it's sort of a an advent calendar of sorts with a song a day for December. And it's helpful to have that out there prior to December 1st so that if anybody actually wanted to to do the audacious task of following along one day at a time, one song at a time, the podcast would be out there in time to support that venture. But today I want to talk about stories of the sacrament of shared food and drink. And in part, this was inspired directly by a sermon series that the pastor in my church did around a 2017 book called Table Talk. The Mike Graves book deals with the actual true perspective of how communion was observed in the ancient world. How did the original early church do communion? And in this short book, Graves walks through a lot of perspectives that I think many people would find surprising today that anyone who, from a Christian perspective, believes there is something magical in the ritual itself might be alarmed or perhaps even dismayed by Mike Graves' book. Because, among other things, the Jesus crackers and sip of wine approach that you see in probably the plurality, if not the majority of the Christian world, doesn't really reflect that communion meal very well at all. Just to give some sense and provide a framing device for what got me thinking in this direction was maybe exactly that. My Graves describes in his book that the original notion of communion wasn't 
just bread and wine in a ceremonial fashion. It was actually a meal. And it was a meal that was open to everyone. So the entire idea of policing people's ability to take communion based on their holiness or membership would have seemed outrageous to the early church. I've covered that before on both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations. The ambiance is one of his chapters. And by ambiance, what he means is the fact that the gathering together of Christians in the early church was joyful. Now, maybe not during that initial period after the crucifixion of Christ and maybe not even shortly after his ascension. These moments of of feeling uh, sadness and confusion about great changes that are happening. But certainly from the point of Pentecost Sunday on, the uh, the gathering together to celebrate this meal was just exactly that, a celebration of the meal. And finally, conversation. And it was that last concept that got me thinking about the notion of the sacrament of shared food and drink. And obviously the biggest gathering that I can think of on an annual basis, certainly in my family, it's been true my entire life, has been Thanksgiving. And when you think about Thanksgiving Day, it's really an interesting thing in America because while it's a holiday that would not surprise me if if it came off as a distinctly religious holiday in the minds of many people, if you were a creature from another planet coming to observe this particular day, you're likely to see a group of people gathering together, perhaps a, a prayer or a blessing for the meal, uh, a sincere focus on family unity and family gathering and shared history and lots of things that would look in many ways very worshipful. But as I've covered in past Walk the Earth questions, I don't believe Thanksgiving can be described genuinely as a holy day in the same way that a traditional religious holiday might. It's more of a national holiday with with very religious overtones, depending on how you choose to celebrate it, rather than being more like Christmas, which often tends to be a uh, holy day that has become sincerely secularized in almost every conceivable way. So you've got that difference in that there is something truly uh, faithful about the ways many people celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. And if we're going to talk about communion as a meal and that notion of a sacrament, and in this case, the one Christian sacrament where food and drink are involved, then Thanksgiving's not a bad time to be thinking about it, and perhaps not a bad place to focus. But when you get to that last element that's described in this book, this notion of conversation, that the modern idea of a sermon, as I covered in Walk the Earth 3 early on, doesn't look a lot, or at least doesn't look enough or consistently enough, like the forms of conversation that would have been the early church equivalent of a sermon. It wasn't speech-giving with one speaker and a group of listeners. It was more of of an open dialogue, of a forum, if you will. And a forum that was, you know, going on in and around, and particularly after this celebration of food and drink, and this gathering together of like-minded people. And I was struck by how little that looks like Thanksgiving now. And I don't want to overstate it and say that when I was a kid, Thanksgiving had robust and serious conversations and uh, willfully nostalgic storytelling of family history and family past. But it was certainly true to more of an extent when I was a young kid than it is now as an adult. And I think part of that is how our society has changed, that the Inappropriate Conversations podcast, for example, was birthed through this idea 
that this notion of things we don't discuss at the dinner table is not helpful. It's not healthy. It's been bad for our society. And especially when people particularly look at things like politics and religion and segregate them and separate them, wall them off or rule them out of conversation. It turns the prayer into sort of a pledge of allegiance or to a perfunctory task of sorts. And in its own way, uh, leaving religion, faith, uh, history, if only family history, to some degree carefully controlled or out of the question, belies or undermines the potential that a meal so so uniquely aligned with the concept of the sacrament of shared food and drink would actually fall so far short. This year we had guests in the home, which makes sense. You know, now that both of my kids are married, we have in-laws and uh, we, you know, went through the effort of ensuring that my uh, father-in-law could join us, despite the fact that he has some disabilities that make it very difficult for him to, to get out. And because you have that, uh, you know, guests in the home and a certain stranger effect. I mean, stranger is too harsh of a word, but it wasn't just the the in, insular interior family that would describe my wife and our kids, maybe even my wife, our kids, and their spouses. I was very well aware of being very careful to manage very a lot of conversations in a very particular way. And if anything, I was just as guilty as the people that I might criticize of steering clear of controversy at all costs. At one point before the meal, my uh, kids were talking about um, the book The Shack, which I was given by my mother, which I think implies an endorsement, which which I haven't read. My daughter had seen the movie, and she was recommending it, and my son was not necessarily a fan, which seemed to be veering toward a theological conversation about the concepts in the book and the movie, and I realized, yeah, this is not going to be a healthy um Thanksgiving week kind of conversation, and I steered us away from that on the weekend after Thanksgiving. During the Thanksgiving meal itself, we were talking about the uh, Josh Whedon show Firefly. Uh, a couple of people at the table had not seen the show before. And in the context of me recommending the movie Serenity, which I do think is still one of the finest science fiction films I've ever seen, it became necessary to explain that movie in the context of the TV show Firefly, from which it sprang. And in the process of doing that, I tried to make a distinction between the kind of Western being displayed in Firefly and the traditional sort of early uh, John Wayne or Roy Rogers kinds of Westerns. And even in the context of making what I consider to be a fair distinction between John Wayne films like The Searchers and The Shootist and some of the other movies that he made that were a little bit more cookie cutter, uh, white hat good guy, black hat bad guy kind of Western it was obvious that if I took that conversation one step further, that someone I didn't know all that well might take offense to my point of view about John Wayne, and I had to let it go. It was more walking on eggshells than this notion of coming together as a group of people and celebrating with the same bread and the same cup the same event in history. It would be as if you came to church on a Sunday where communion was going to be celebrated. Now, for the church that my family has walked the earth to, every Sunday is a Sunday where communion communion is celebrated. But if you were one of these churches that only did communion a few times a year, it would be like coming to church to observe that sacrament and suddenly being taken by the idea that talking about Jesus' death would be politically incorrect, so maybe we shouldn't do it. 
and therefore what we might say about the bread as the body and the wine as the blood can't be told. And you end up with a group of people coming together to eat bread and drink juice, but no one allowed to talk about why. And if you were a guest that particular Sunday in church, or a creature from another planet coming to observe the anthropological, you know, functions, the religious functions of this primitive society that you've, you know, crossed the galaxy to take a good look at, you might not have any idea what was really going on. Because if you can't have the conversation, then at the very least, the sacrament is presumed, if not undermined. But when I think of some of the greatest conversations that I've ever been a part of, whether face-to-face in person, or even virtually online, it's the conversation that's driving it. I can remember times in my life where I've talked about not caring where we go, because I just wanted to keep having the conversation. And eating in fast food restaurants I didn't really care for at times, because that's what the person that I was talking with wanted to do, and continuing the conversation was more important than almost anything else. I can remember one time in particular that I'll come back to near the end of the show, because first I want to describe and maybe define a term called that I call garbage can fire. Maybe the best way to do that is to look at a forum that I once participated in where a very heated conversation and discussion broke out over whether or not the introduction of live shows to the podcast network was diminishing the quality of the work that the network had historically put out. This was a was and is, I suppose, a network that still does a variety of podcasts. And I've talked about it before on past inappropriate conversations. In fact, it was uh, one of those Decembers that I'm going to do some shout-outs to all month, December 2015 in this case, where I kind of did a best-of show uh, kind of recalling and honoring some of my favorite moments in the history of this particular podcast network. But the online forum that had operated during that time, back then, was a good, vibrant, I mean, no longer exists now, but it was a good, vibrant community where people discuss things and discuss things in a pretty robust way. And being kind of maybe more comfortable in some ways with the written word than with face-to-face conversation, I found myself contributing a lot during that period of time and meeting some people online as a result of words shared in an online forum. And of course, since then, having met many of those people. And I think maybe the best thing for me to do is actually just quote some notes I have from back in that period of time. This is almost 10 years ago now. In terms of describing the power of the shows that were there, including the live shows, and my sense that even a live show that might not have pre-planned content or deliver a podcast with a clear topic and a start and a stop, a call-in show, if you will, had a certain amount of power, even if it was in many ways obviously going to be more unpredictable and have a more unpredictable level of quality control associated to it. I basically said this. When I go over to a friend's house just to hang out, I've got no guarantees that the beer will taste great, or be less filling, and the conversation will be entertaining or enlightening. The only guarantee I have is that I'll be hanging out with friends. You know what that's worth? Gold. Simple as that. For me, and I know it's not just me, but I'm speaking for me, the worst episode of some of those live shows was still better than hanging wallpaper or moving someone up to a third-floor apartment with no elevator, 
or even watching a buddy's sixth grader attempt to play soccer. We do these things with our friends because we want to hang out with them. Often enough, we do it gladly. These call-in shows are better than that, though. Or were. Because there's no heavy lifting. My real friends, in contrast with the internet friends concept, well, we don't share the same tastes. We have different backgrounds, worship at different churches, or not at all, find satisfaction in different hobbies. I don't care if they like Adam Sandler comedies. And they don't care if I like black and white surrealist films shot in Mexico or Spain. Something bigger is going on, and that's why we're friends. So, I don't expect everyone to think like I do here or in an online forum. And I don't think people will have the same tastes in movies or TV or sports that I do. And not only is all that perfectly fine, in many ways, it's even better. As my friend Karen posted before, and I shared her words in audio form to Inappropriate Conversations number 100, uh, kind of looking back at the history of the show, because I think she captured some of these moments in time really perfectly back then. Basically, what she said was, this pool, this online interactive, not-in-real-life experience is even bigger than the real world. I don't think we'd get invited to the same living room on a Friday night in the real world as some of those people that I was interacting with online then and now. It's those very things that would otherwise keep us apart that create a huge collateral, the gold I mentioned earlier. If people act like they have a personal investment in their own online communities and defend it like it was property somehow, I think that's probably true. Be honest, I said back then. You put me, Kumar, Rounda Panda, Ro Karen, Weather Eye, and Collis together in a room under any other circumstances, and you are just as likely to be shooting a crap remake of the movie Cube as setting up a community that hopes the best for one another and worries over each other's tests, holidays, employment circumstances, and health or exercise routines. I don't say any of this to call attention or to stroke the egos of myself or anyone else. We're just a garbage can fire outside the stadium on a chilly fall evening. That may look like nothing special. It may even be hazardous. If you're interested, though, come on over. Rub your hands together. Relax by the fire. Something is happening on those odd call-in shows. And whatever else you may call it, I insist that it's genuinely warm. Those were my words, again, almost 10 years ago. But I probably would say the same thing about a uh, meetup like Pride48.com, the one recently here in New Orleans, and the one that I still feel like I've got some things to say about, but I'll figure out a way to say it in a different form than a podcast postscript. So that's that notion of community I'm talking about. And I wanted to share those words from those years ago in a different context for a couple of reasons. First, times have changed. I think some of my friends who record on the Starbase 66 podcast may be done recording or maybe have to figure out how to repurpose their podcasting work in other ways. The greatest events in sporting history, uh, at least for now, is on a fairly permanent hiatus. And when it reemerges, may reemerge somewhere else in some other way. This is a so-it-goes moment, is probably the way I would word that, in terms of times changing and things evolving. But I wanted to just put that out there in terms of providing that sense, in some ways because maybe it's going to make a reference to what is probably my favorite ever Walk the Earth episode. 
And I think I'll get to the point maybe right now. This is the November 2018 recording of Walk the Earth. Walk the Earth 48 was released in November of 2017, and it was answering the question of whether people who want answers ask questions. And in that, the end of that podcast recording, I kind of mentioned that, you know, even when you've got a really great, very meaningful, very important relationship, it's wrong to presume that that somehow means, well, it's wrong to assume that eternal means never stopping in a go-forward manner. That to me, what eternal means is that even past moments in time, even very brief past moments in time, live in the eternal now and are therefore continually available to us. Eternal and yet fixed at a point in time all at the same time. And the reason I want to call that out is, well, first, it's one of the, my favorite podcast episodes I've ever recorded. It probably is the walk the earth that I hold most fondly in my memory. And I enjoyed it when I spoke those words in front of the congregation at the church we now attend as well. There's a lot of walk the earth in that story, but that story has been told other times in other ways. And one piece I don't think I've ever really dwelt on is that that, that personal friendship of mine, that cross gender friendship of mine, um, it included what I might describe as these garbage can fire moments that a lot of the way that the conversation, which is part of why I think this is so important and in, in that if this notion of sacrament of shared food and drink includes conversation, that that's kind of a game changer. It's not show up and do the ritual and quietly leave. Instead, it's that if, if there's a God moment happening there, then I think it's not just noticed by the two people or the three people who are involved, this two or three gathering in his name, I am there with you, uh, Matthew eighteen twenty kind of a concept to quote the verse. It's more that other people will too. And on at least a couple of different occasions, I can remember conversations, helping this friend of mine uh, work through some of the challenges and problems that she was dealing with. And at the same time, feeling a tremendous amount of healing to help me recover from negative experiences that I'd had through late high school and early college just in the sense of being permitted into a conversation with a female friend in that manner, without it being perceived as romantic by either one of us or threatening by at least not my, my now spouse, my fiance. But when you go to a restaurant and it's either not lunchtime, so all you order is French fries and you know, soft drink or a beer or whatever, or if you go for a late lunch and you linger, now, a couple of things I know now that I probably was too dumb to know in college is that if the place is busy and you're lingering at a table, uh, it's bad for the wait staff. It's not the most, uh, it's not the best thing for the economic model of being a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant like that. But as I recall, the place wasn't packed. They weren't desperate for the table that we were occupying. So at least I remember it that way. But I can remember some of these conversations on what could have been as short as a 25-minute quick snack between meetings or classes turning into an hour, an hour and a half or so. And the thing that, that I want to you know kind of call to my memory and speak it in the context of whether there's something truly uh, sacramental going on in these kinds of shared um, table moments, these table talk moments, was that I can remember people who we knew, finding us or chancing across us in the restaurant. This is one of the most popular restaurants and bars in, in that part of the country. 
So it wasn't unusual for people to be in there frequenting, either buying a, uh, a T-shirt, uh, kind of a hard rock cafe kind of a vibe. So merchandise that was available for sale. It was both a bar and a restaurant and a sports bar, all that sort of stuff at once. But coming up and just joining us, relatively uninvited, seeing a couple people they knew, noticing that they were having a conversation and wanting in on that conversation. And I jokingly referred to it as a garbage can fire. That something both genuinely warm and genuinely meaningful was happening between us, and it was noticeable enough to other people that people who felt like they had the credentials to enter into our conversation wanted in. And, you know, by and large, we were gracious enough to let that happen. But if nothing else, it prolonged that conversation. Uh, communion in your given church on a given Sunday is going to be longer if there's a lot more people who came to worship that Sunday. The first time I think I talked about communion on Walk the Earth, I probably told the story that when I was a kid, my family, we always tended to sit close to the front. I don't really understand why that is, but we, we sat close to the front. And I really enjoyed being near the front of the of the church during communion Sundays in particular because the way we did it in that church was that everyone would empty the pews into the center aisles as led by ushers, sort of one pew at a time, and come forward and kneel around a very large sort of set of railings, uh, not at the altar, but not far from the altar. And you would, you know, have maybe 40, 30, 40 people at a time who were kneeling. They would take the communion and talk about the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, and so forth. And then that group would get up and use the side aisles to return to their their spot in the pew, and the next group would go it. And if you had 200, 250 people there that Sunday, it could take 20, 30 minutes for 30 folks at a time to go through the ritual. But for me, sitting near the front meant that on communion Sundays, which was only maybe once a month, but on communion Sundays, you got to see every single person in the church. Now, maybe that makes me a strange kid, but it was interesting at that moment to feel like, hey, we were near the front, so we were in one of the very first groups to take communion, and then we were back in the pews, and for me, the rest of that time was basically saying, this is our entire group. This is everybody. And it was a large group at that time, 200 plus. And in some ways, I was as a kid warming my hands to that garbage can fire of everyone taking the sacraments together on those particular Sundays. And, but it just called my mind when we were talking about this in a church setting that perhaps I have been in a gathering that was like the sharing of food and drink in a sacramental way. If this friend of mine were uh, was sharing with me her overly salted and overly peppered french fries, being consumed in her particular way of doing it, with a circle of ketchup separate from a circle of mustard that over the course of eating the potato would create this center section, this Venn diagram, if you will, where the ketchup and mustard were being mixed together, meaning that at any point in eating the fries, you could do a ketchup version, a mustard version, or this combination. And I remember the food, uh, even though it wasn't bread in a you know traditional way, and the drink, which most of the time was probably soft drink rather than beer at um, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a, uh, a news day or a school day or both. But I do remember all these times where the conversation between us must have been impactful enough to the average passerby that people were noticing. And it is a piece of that relationship which has gone dormant that's on 
permanent hiatus that I will always kind of think about, that I will go back and remember that from time to time. And in some ways, when we think about uh, Eucharist or communion, it's both the notion of the food and the drink and the remembering. My favorite expression in terms of a liturgy surrounding the Eucharist is Jesus saying, remember me this way. He's telling his disciples that things are going to happen, which are going to be very hard for you to handle and hard for you to deal with. Traumatic is probably the right word for it. And he didn't want them dwelling on those moments. He wanted them going back to maybe the last point where the program was virus-free, their point to save, their point to remember, and it being the Last Supper and the meal they shared together, and a specific manner of sharing food and wine and conversation. So when I think about this Table Talk book, and I hear communion being described as moments of intimacy and genuine joy and inclusiveness and conversation, it leads me back to these great moments of interpersonal friendship um, and, some, to some degree, further back, great moments of family fellowship. But it's not all good news, because in some ways I'm kind of reminded that the politics of our current culture, the infection that that politics has spread throughout what we might call religion today, has made it such that the gathering of people together, even for a Thanksgiving meal, is filled with whatever the opposite of the inappropriate conversations worldview is. If inappropriate conversations is about bringing together politics, religion, popular culture, and forcing conversation where conversation has often been censored or segregated or sequestered, then anymore you find these, these sort of public gatherings, whether they be Thanksgiving or church potlucks, places where a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to make sure they're not talking. And better to not talk at all than to talk about the wrong thing. And what if the wrong thing can become something as benign as which book I'm reading, or whether or not I like later John Wayne films better than early John Wayne films. I mean, it just gets to be a little bit crazy. And of course, for me, the irony is, I find the people in my world who complain the most about political correctness being the ones who are willfully or unwittingly enforcing these kinds of word segregations to occur. And what is that if not political correctness run amok? I'm not saying that I think that every Thanksgiving meal should end with a robust argument. And I'm not saying that there's any place for the exchange of insults or you know the drawing of metaphorical lines in the sand. But all that is is another indication that we have come so far away from where the early church was that a group of people could come together not to engage in some external-looking worshipfulness, but to engage in fellowship, to share what the Lord is doing in their lives within that context, to do so in a meal, not just in a ritual, and to follow that, follow that up with heartfelt, genuine, and respectful conversation. If we no longer are a church, or in the broadest sense of family, capable of that genuine, heartfelt conversation, if we don't even recognize it when we see it while walking down the aisle of a bar and grill and noticing a couple of friends of ours and wondering, wow, what could they be talking about 
that is that intense, and at least to the two of them, seemingly that meaningful, if we no longer recognize it when we see it, then we've lost something that undermines, in many ways, the very concept of Thanksgiving itself. That it's not the end of the world to have a conversation at Thanksgiving about the role the first Thanksgiving story has in our culture and what that story itself says about things like immigration and things like multiculturalism. But if I were to tell a group of people that not only was I going to accept their invitation and join them for Thanksgiving dinner, but that is exactly the topic I wanted to talk about, the odds are very high in America today and in the Protestant church today that that invitation would be rescinded as a result. So, whether this measures up accurately to the early church from a Christian perspective, that's an open question, one I'm going to continue to explore this winter, at least on my own time. But the other thing that it kind of makes me makes me think and make, makes me dwell on are the moments in the past where, whether associated with a meal or a snack or no food whatsoever, I was part of one of these garbage can fires. I'm well aware that some of my favorite garbage can fires in the past may never happen again. That the team just isn't playing at that stadium anymore. So standing outside that stadium at a tailgate with a fire that's been started in one of those big metal drum garbage cans is more of a memory than anything else, and it's gone for good. And as much as I love uh, Inappropriate Conversations number 48, whether people who want answers ask questions... I'm reminded that some of the, but some of my favorite people who've asked me questions and who I've, I've asked questions of, we're not going to be sharing our answers anymore. That is less disturbing, though, than the quality of the conversations that are happening in its place. As a society, we need to do something to make sure that there's moments of greater depth than what you get from bless the hands that have prepared this food. And if we can't do that, we might need to rethink Thanksgiving in the process of rethinking a lot of other things that we are doing in our culture, in our churches, in our politics, and to be blunt, in our country and world. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. Lord, we often ask you to bless the gifts and Many of those gifts are the gifts of food, the hands that have prepared the food, the opportunity the meal represents for people to get together. And Lord, I wonder how often the words of any one Thanksgiving prayer over the years sounds just like the other Thanksgiving prayers. Any one uh, saying of grace sounds just like all the other sayings of grace, as if it's uh, the kind of poem that I was taught in, as a young child about Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts which we are bound to receive from your bounty. That, that it can't be just a phrase, Lord. Help us find the way to break through and have real conversation, whether that be at a moment of a holiday like Thanksgiving or even in the hall outside the sanctuary in church, that we can't continue to be civil only because we're not genuine with each other. Lord, give me or continue to provide insights 
into what it must have been like for the very beginning of the church for people to gather together and before we'd established what the rotes and the rules were around things like baptism and communion or even the order of worship itself. I have completed the task of walking the earth in the sense of going from one congregation to another. And by your grace, Lord, that trip was fruitful and bountiful and interesting. But all the same, I'm not sure I'm 100% convinced that the journey, per se, is complete. There are more things that need to be said, Lord. And sometimes I wonder if I've got fewer and fewer people who want to hear it. That's something I'm going to have to deal with. And by your grace, I'll find comfort in the answers. In your holy name I pray. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Rather than a next on Walk the Earth, the month of December will have callbacks to past Christmas episodes from both Inappropriate Conversations and Walk the Earth. Happy holidays, and thanks for listening. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.